All right, if you have a Bible, would you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4? Beginning today and for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at the topic of prayer. Um, We were in Matthew, and we're taking a little bit of a break from Matthew. We'll come back to Matthew in the new year. But for the next three weeks, we're going to look at the topic of prayer. Prayer, simply put, is talking with God. It's expressing our heart's desires and longings for him, whether audibly or within our own hearts. It's an opportunity to commune with God, to dwell on him, to meditate on his words that are given to us in the Bible. And there's so much that I could say about prayer. There's too much to cover in three weeks. I I won't be able to say everything maybe that you want me to say or teach on prayer Um, But just so you know, when we get back to Matthew in the new year, Matthew chapter 6 is going to be coming up fast where the Lord himself teaches us to pray. And so we'll get back to prayer in the new year as well. But for now, we're going to simply take three different passages and ask the Lord to shape our understanding of prayer. Pastor Tim Keller wrote a book about prayer. And in that book, he says this, prayer is how God gives us so many of the unimaginable things that he has for us. He says, indeed, prayer makes it safe for God to give us many of the things that we most desire. It is the way that we know God. It is the way that we finally treat God as God. Prayer is simply the key to everything that we need to do and be in life. We must learn to pray. We have to. I mentioned in last week's sermon that heading into the new year, we're going to be reevaluating what it looks like for us to take a position uh, towards our neighbors, to, uh, to align ourselves outward towards our neighbors. We're going to ask how do we best position ourselves into their lives so that we can share with them the glorious message of Jesus. And that first position that we must take is the position of prayer, down on our knees praying for them. One person has quite famously said that before we talk to our neighbors about God, we better begin talking to God about our neighbors. It is my hope, it is my prayer that prayer becomes much, a much more used tool and resource within our fellowship here at Story Church. And in our own lives, as we care for one another, as we look outward into the lives of our neighbors. And this week, we're going to begin looking at what does it look like to pray with confidence? Uh, What is the, the resolution that we have that we could come before God with our requests, our petitions, our our prayers for help? And to do that, we're looking at Hebrews chapter 4, looking at verses 14 through 16. Uh, I didn't put my three points in the bulletin, but if you are a note taker and want to follow along, this is where we're going. We're going to read this passage, and simply I'm going to ask, when do we pray, why do we pray, and where do we pray? Let's read 14 through 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who is passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest 
who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do come before you now with our prayer that you would use your word to show us your grace. Would you use your word to convict us of sin? Would you use your word to draw us near to yourself? Ultimately, Lord, would you use this word to conform us to the image of your Son? In his name we pray. Amen. When do we pray? Why do we pray? And where do we pray with confidence? On June 2nd, 1995, while in a NATO operation, Air Force pilot Scott O'Grady's F-16 was shot at over enemy territory. He was unable to get away, and so he ended up having to eject himself out of his plane. He soon found himself trapped behind enemy lines. For six days, O'Grady survived on his hands and feet on his stomach, crawling under the cover of darkness. During the day, he would maybe sleep 20, 30, maybe 40 minutes a day. All he would eat was grass that he could find. He used his sock to absorb muddy water from which he drank and survived. For six days, he crawled and crawled trying to make it to the side of the hill so that he could use his emergency radio. Eventually he did. He made contact with someone, and within five and a half hours of making contact with friendly forces, the U.S. Marines were able to locate him and had a successful rescue operation, bringing him home. Years later, Scott O'Brady was being interviewed on a CNN uh, uh, developing story, breaking news. There were U.S. forces who were down in Libya behind enemy lines, and they brought Scott O'Grady on to talk about his experience. And he said that the most important thing when you find yourself behind enemy lines, the most important thing when you are in the thick of it is to make contact with someone who can help. That's the only way to get out of the mess that you're in. Friends, we are in the thick of it. We are in a mess. We are in trouble. And the most important thing for us to do is to make contact with the one who can help. It's exactly what the author of Hebrews says in verse 16. When should we be praying? When we're in need. Did you see that? Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. That is, let us pray so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It is when we are in need of help that we should run and turn and pray with boldness and confidence for help. Growing up, I uh, attended 
vacation Bible school every year. Thank you, Mom and Dad, who are here today for sending me there. And one of the first songs that I learned uh, that seared into my head, into my heart, that I'm so thankful for is a song that reminds me of this. It, it, It goes like this. First you pray, first you pray, the second you see a problem come your way. Most of the time it's last on your mind, but first you need to pray. Prayer, oh, thank you, thank you. I, I tried to sing a song once six months ago and it totally failed, so I'm, I'm glad I could redeem myself a little bit. Prayer needs to be the first thing that we do, the most important thing we do when we find ourselves in times of need. Did you catch that the throne that we come before is characterized as the throne of grace? That is, it's a place of unrestricted and infinite access to the favor of the Lord. The only condition that we have to have is a willingness to come and receive it. The only condition is coming with an understanding of our need for it, coming before the throne with our arms open, our hands open, saying, I need help. Do you know your need for help today? Are you conscious of your limitations, your weaknesses? Are we quick to admit when we don't have the power within us to do what is before us? Parents, it's, it's easy for us to complain to one another during seasons of difficult times with kids. It's easy to complain about sleepless nights and difficult and disobedient children. It's easy for us to commiserate. But are we quick to ask for help? Or is it just so much easier to complain? Husbands and wives, are you quick to admit when your marriage is going through a tough time, when communication isn't good, when intimacy is hardly existent, when friendship between you and your spouse is failing? Are you quick to seek out the help that you need? Friends who go to work, I know many of you are facing increasing pressure from supervisors and HR directors and your bosses to to use phrases that you don't want to use or to not use phrases or words you want to use. I know that the, the social cultural pressure is increasing all around us and you find yourself at a loss for words. Are you quick to admit that you're in the thick of it and you need help? Prayer is there for us to use when we are in need. I think we often ignore that. We suppress it. We run from the reality that we're weak. We operate under this mindset that says, I can do it myself. Sometimes I'll show Theo, our five-year-old, how to do something for the first time, and he'll, he'll complain and say, no, I want to do it. I know how to do it. Let me do it myself. That's what we do. God, I got it. Let me do it. I can handle it. We are wired to think that asking for help is a sign of weakness. 
We're convinced that, that we are strong enough to do whatever it is that we need to do. And so we're not quick to turn in prayer. But this is human arrogance at its worst. A lack of prayer is really to say, I believe in God, but I can get by just fine without him. To not pray is to walk around as functional atheists. The ironic thing is this, when we think that admitting our needs is a sign of weakness, that we can operate under our own strength in whatever mess of life we find ourselves, the ironic thing is, in that moment, we are actually the most weak ever. When we're trapped behind enemy lines, when we're unable to move, unable to survive, the strongest position is, on the other hand, is to make contact with the one who can send aid and plea for help. That's the position of strength. Tim Keller in his book says again, to pray is to accept that we are and always will be wholly dependent upon God for everything. To pray in our time of need is not to show weakness, is actually showing strength. Because it is an acknowledgement that we cannot live our life on our own. We are wholly and utterly dependent upon God, who is all-powerful and all-sovereign. So when do we pray? We pray whenever we are in need, which, if we are honest about our lives, is all the time. That's when we should pray. Why? Why should we pray? Verse 14 and 15 tells us, because Jesus, the Son of God, is a great high priest who can sympathize with us in our weakness. In other words, Jesus is not some far-off and distant deity who has no knowledge of our human affairs. No, Jesus is well acquainted with our trials, our seasons of testings, even our temptations. He gets us because he also went through it himself. And because he went through all of that messiness of life, all of that stuff that we go through, we can talk to him about it. Why do we pray? Because he gets it. He's been there. He knows what we're going through. I recently heard someone make the observation that when you get a group of moms together in a room, sooner or later, they will start talking about their birth stories. Why? Because it's something that they all have in common. It's something that they share with one another. They've all gone through it. Yeah, the details are a little bit different, but the general experience is quite similar. They bond together on that. In a similar way, our author is saying, it's reminding us that Jesus has been tempted in every respect as we are. The details are not the same. Obviously, Jesus was not tempted with the same temptations that a married person goes through or a woman goes through or an elderly person. No, the details are different, but the common experience is the same. He knows temptation that leads to bitterness and anger 
envy, lust, fear, anxiety. He was and is a man who lived and breathed. He got hungry. He got tired. He dealt with people. He knows all the trappings of the human life. He gets us. He's gone through it. He's not a distant God who doesn't know what we're going through. He's an intimate friend who sits with us, hugs us, brings us close, comforts us, and says, I know. For our author to say that Jesus can sympathize with us is for him to say that Jesus suffers along with us. He suffers with us in our weaknesses. We can have confidence to pray and admit our need for help because when we open up about our weaknesses, he doesn't laugh. He doesn't point out our failures. He doesn't ridicule us for not being able to do it. He says, I know. I know what you're going through. And it's that non-anxious presence that he offers us that actually encourages and enables us to come to him again and again. What is your impression of Jesus when you pray? Is he someone far off in a distant place, untouched by the problems of your life? Or is he someone that gets down on his knees before you and looks you in the eye, holds you close to his heart? That is the picture that we have here. We have a great high priest, not someone who is inaccessible, but someone who has gone through all that we are going through, who has suffered in the same way that we are suffering. And because of that, he is able to show compassion on us. He's able to help us. When do we pray? When we're in need. Why do we pray? Because he knows. Now, where do we pray? Where do we pray? Some religions say that you have to go to a temple to pray. Other religions say you have to face east pray towards a certain location. Still other practices say you have to come in at this time during this event and say these words to pray. What does this passage teach us about where we can pray? Well, in the Old Testament, when there was something going on, when there was sin in the community, when there was a, a brokenness in the individual's life, they would go to the temple they would bring their sacrifices and their offerings. They'd go to the high priest and say, I need help with this. And that high priest then would, would take their prayer, would take their offering, would take their sacrifice, and would go into the presence of God. They'd go into the presence of God and offer up the prayers for the people. A high priest operated like a mediator, a go-between, being able to take the prayers of the people and bring them into the presence of God. So the book of Hebrews is saying, we have a better high priest than that. We have a greater high priest than that. This high priest that we have has not only passed through the curtains, he has passed into the heavens. You see, the, the Old Testament temple was really just a shadow 
of the eternal reality. It was a picture of something true and real in the heavens. Our author is saying Jesus didn't pass through the curtain of the temple. He passed into the very presence of God in heaven. And there, before the Father, our great high priest offers up our prayers. So where can we pray? We don't have to go to the temple. We don't have to go to a certain place. We can pray whenever and wherever we are because our prayers go to Jesus in the presence of the Father. That's why the author, his big conclusion, he says, in light of this fact that we have this great high priest, he says, therefore, let us come boldly and confidently draw near to the throne of grace. Draw near to the throne of grace. Elsewhere in in the book of Hebrews, we'll read about this throne of grace. And what we read is that Jesus, our great high priest, who has once for all time offered himself as our sacrifice, he has sat down at the right hand of the throne. When we go into the throne of grace, when we draw near in prayer, we have this picture of Jesus Christ sitting at the right hand of the throne, who is making intercession for us. He is praying our prayers to the Father. Here's why that's so important. I don't know about you, when I sometimes pray, I am very easily distracted. Sometimes when I'm I'm praying, I'll sometimes get distracted of the busyness of life, uh, but often I'll be distracted by all the ways that I failed to live up to God's standard. I'll be reading something and I'll hear that voice that we've all heard that says, who are you to pray that? I'll be reading something and praying and I'll hear that voice that I'm sure you've heard, you're guilty of that too. Who are you to think you can come before the throne of God with your prayers? Look at your life. You don't deserve it. But the author of Hebrews says, we can come with confidence. Not because you are worthy. Not because your merits and your righteousness We can come before the throne of God with our prayers because we have an advocate at the right hand of the throne of grace who every time we hear those whispers of shame and guilt and doubt and fear, his voice is louder that says, no, I have given my life for them. I have given my life for him, for her. Yes, they are unworthy to come into my presence, but I have made them worthy. I skipped over a part of this passage. Not only has Jesus been tempted in every way as we are, but he did it without sinning. And that is so crucial for us to understand. He was tested in every single way that we have been tested. He has been tried in every single way we have been tried. And yet, while we have failed again and again and again, he did not. And because he did not sin, Because he is perfect, because he is spotless, 
he himself goes into the throne room of God and offers himself as the sacrifice that covers us. He is the Lamb of God that takes away our sin. The Father made him the Son who knew no sin to be sin, to be our sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. If you've ever watched The Crown or uh, maybe Game of Thrones, any, any kind of show in which there's royalty, there's a throne and a great ballroom, a great throne room, there's always the king who sits on the throne and there's all the court members around the throne and often peasants or villagers will come before the king and they'll make their humble plea. Oh, great king, can you do this for me? Oh, great king, can you do that for me? Friends, when we draw near to the throne room of God, we come before the king, the king of the universe. We're invited to come with confidence, to let him know what's on our heart, to let him know what our pleas are, to let him know what our desires are, to let him know what our wants are, We come with confidence, not because we have earned it, because we know the one sitting to the right hand of the throne, who lived for us, who died for us, who has made us worthy. So friends, let us pray when we are in need. Let us pray because Jesus gets us. Let us pray with confidence because our great high priest has made us worthy. Let's pray now.